Uh, we have gathered this evening for the, the clear and central purpose of worshiping our God through the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's why you've probably noticed we have not uh, sung uh, Jingle Bells or run uh, Rudolph Run. That's by design. That's on purpose. It's also why for many Christians this season of the year honestly is a strange one. It's kind of a bizarre season. Here we are. We have come to worship uh, the central figure of Christmas, the central figure of all of history, uh, the creator and redeemer, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet all around us, uh, our culture's attention is on a different figure, a large man in a red suit, black boots with a hat and a long white beard. I think you know who I'm referring to. It really is, in a lot of ways, a strange phenomenon where we are at, that Jesus Christ would, in a way, be sharing space and the stage with this guy. Yet almost everything around us this time of year, uh, the songs, many of them on the radio, uh, decorations at stores and the mall, the holiday movies, many of them, Uh, Company parties, candy canes, really have nothing to do with the Christmas story. Now, on the one hand, we might conclude a lot of that is is just harmless. In fact, many of us look forward to uh, certain aspects of this season. We might call them traditions, things that we've come to enjoy each year. The annual family get-together, our children or grandchildren making gingerbread Houses, the decoration of a tree, uh, cozying up to a warm fire to watch that particular holiday uh, movie or going to see a display of lights. Perhaps there's a lot that is somewhat harmless here, and yet while the season may be filled with a number of seemingly harmless fantasies and myths, flying reindeer, a man coming down a, a chimney, millions and millions of chimneys, Nevertheless, our society is actually engulfed in a number of lies that are destructive. The lie that the God of the Bible does does not exist, that morality is up for grabs, it's really just relative. Uh, The lie that good and harm comes into a person's life because of a power called karma. The lie that life and circumstances are merely just the result of random, unguided processes in, in the world. There's real no ultimate purpose to our existence. There is a lot of fantasy and and lies within our culture, and certainly at this time of of year, and yet Christians are to be people of truth, the truth. And there's a handful of singular verses, just single verses that capture very well the purpose and the meaning of Christmas. We heard one of them from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. One of my favorite is Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Uh, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I want to, for a few minutes, draw our attention to one other single verse that captures Christmas. And that's Romans 6, verse 23. It's the last verse of chapter 6 of Romans. 
Some of you, you already know what the verse is. It's a very memorable verse. It's a verse that some Christians, one of the first that they memorize as a believer. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, all three of those verses I mentioned in Matthew 1, 1 Timothy 1, uh, Romans 6, they all have the, the, the same three primary aspects or points. One is this problem or condition of sin. Two is this remedy found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then three is as a result of that, the fruit of that, which is eternal life or salvation. He will save his people from their sins. So Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, Sin enters the biblical story in chapter 3 of Genesis. In chapters 1 and 2, we are given the creation story, how God creates all things ex nihilo, out of nothing, this vast universe with galaxies, complexity, wonder and beauty, stars, our sun and moon, the earth he forms, Uh, the waters above and the waters below, all vegetation, living creatures. And then at the end of his creation, the height of his creation is his making man and woman who are made in his image. They reflect his character. The story then zeroes in on Adam and Eve in the garden. God gives them a commission to multiply and have dominion over the face of the earth, to multiply this glorious image of God around the face of of all the earth. And he extends to them liberty. He says to them, You may eat of any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat of that, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here we're told that death would be the result of sin. And in the next chapter, when Adam and Eve are deceived by the evil one, thinking that the fruit would be a delight. They eat of it. And they step outside of God's design for life, a flourishing life, a full life with God. And at that moment, all of creation, this interconnected web of life, all tethered to the author and sustainer of life, is in a way severed. It's cut. And creation kind of turns in on itself. And the result ultimately is death, and then brokenness in its many forms. We see creation uh, at odds with the creator, and we see creation itself at odds within itself, one to another. And whether one's a Christian and believes all of this is the result of sin, or one is not, I think all people recognize that the world, in numerous ways, is out of sorts, off the rails, off track. You could take the area of relationships. Relationships do not come easily or naturally, whether it's among siblings, employees, or the marriage relationship. They're often hard to make work well. Injustice occurs on a micro level all around the world every day and at at times and places on a macro level. And even the wonderful things like beauty, It does not last like the flower. It eventually fades, and the end is death. And Romans 6.23 is emphasizing that death is a result of sin. Not not just 
the committing of sins, but a sin condition. Now, you might be thinking that this does not sound like a very merry uh, Christmassy kind of message, but there's really no need for a remedy, all right, uh, if there's no diagnosis of an ailment. There's no need for a savior if there's no diagnosis of a problem. Uh, sin and death, we actually, kind of surprising how much of the songs we have sung this evening are filled with the language of sin and, and death and the hope that comes through in the Savior. But sin and death can seem kind of distant and unconcerning until you're jolted by it or it comes up close and personal. Uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, as I was driving in, in the car with my son, we drove past a cemetery, not something you normally give a lot of attention to, and he tugged on my shirt and said, pointed over to the cemetery and said, hey, Dad, you know people are dying to get in there? It took me, it took me a little while. I'd never heard that before. I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But that can be, feel like quite a distance, that, that cemetery, all right, until it comes up close and personal. How, how, do, how does a person respond to the reality of their own mortality? I was reminded recently of the, uh, the passing of, of Kobe Bryant, basketball superstar, I think almost two years ago now, and, and how people responded. I want you to listen to just two quotes, very brief, from two talk show hosts the day after Kobe Bryant and his daughter and others uh, were killed. One said this, though he and one of his daughters is gone, I think I knew him well enough to know that he rose to any challenge by digging deeper and getting back to work. So let's honor him and the lives lost by following his example. Love your family, love your teammates, and outwork everyone else. Another person said, everything can change in a second. Life is short and fragile, and we don't know how many birthdays we have. So if you haven't told someone you love them, do it now. Now, on the one hand, these words make sense to us. Life is short. Uh, we want to express love to others while we can. But if you hear and pay attention to those words, there's an air of hopelessness and kind of desperation in them because we know this earthly life is elusive and, and, and fleeting. It slips away. It's but a breath, as the Bible tells us. And that is why Christmas is so glorious. That's why the Christmas story and the Christmas, Christmas message is so hopeful and joyful. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And one of the reasons I was drawn to this passage is because it speaks about a gift. It's a free gift. And many people are excited, I know in our family, about uh, gifts, opening gifts and giving gifts. Uh, but this gift is unlike any gift that is under the tree. It centers on the person of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul in this verse and throughout Romans is offering a very powerful, articulated, calculated uh, message. This single verse, Romans 6.23, can feel like it kind of can stand alone or it stands alone. It's so, so memorable. But it's part of a larger point and argument that Paul is making. If you turn back just one chapter uh, briefly to chapter 5, verse 17 of Romans, we hear a similar verse, chapter 5, verse 17. 
Paul says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, among other things, that there are two representatives, two men. There's the first Adam who transgressed the Lord. And he brought to all humanity this sin condition and ultimately death. That people are by nature united to this first Adam. But then he says there comes another man, the last Adam. And this man is faithful to God's commands, where the first was faithless. This man comes, is born, he lives righteously, faithfully. He ultimately takes upon himself on a cross the guilt and sin of all of his people. And then through death, rises from the dead and overcomes the last enemy the Bible calls, death itself. He overcomes death through his resurrection. And now he is ascended and seated at the right hand of God with all power and authority. This is why the Lord Jesus came at at Christmas. To live, to be crucified, to be risen, and to reign as supreme Lord over all of creation. But there's more in this text. Notice the contrasts that Paul makes in this one verse. One centers on sin, for the wages of sin is death. The other is on the grace of God, this free gift. One leads to death. The wages of sin is death. The other to eternal life. And then one is earned, the other is free. We've heard it said, nothing's free. Nothing's free in this world. And if you open presents tonight or tomorrow, none of those presents are free. Someone here on earth paid for them. Mom, dad, sibling. Uh, Amazon is reaping the benefits. Majorly. But this gift that Paul mentions is free. No no mere earthly person has paid for this. God has paid for this through his son, Jesus Christ. None of us can merit, earn, or pay for this gift. This gift can only be received freely. But death is earned. For the wages of sin is death. The principle that Paul's referring to here is remuneration. Death is merited. It's earned. In death, people are receiving no more and no less than what they owe. But eternal life is purely gratuitous. But there's something else I want us to see uh, in this text. There's kind of a gift within a gift. I don't know if anyone does this within their families at birthday time or at Christmas. I do this sometimes. Our kids do it. You wrap your present, and then you put that in another box and wrap that, and then in another box and wrap that. It's really just to make it hard to get to the gift. But here is kind of a gift within a gift in this passage. Because this gift is not only eternal life. This is a gift that is a new life now. We might be thinking, well, eternal life, this is just stressing the length of it. But that's not what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 6. It's about a new life now in this person, Jesus Christ. 
So if we were to read Romans 1 through 5, the first five chapters, which we're not going to do, one of the themes that would come out is that Christians are justified by the grace of God through faith. We cannot obey and as a result accomplish or achieve or obtain our right standing with God. Justification is a new position before God, granted to him by his grace through faith in his Son. And as a result, we have peace with God. So we read in Romans 5, for example, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is a gift. But as Paul moves from chapter 5 to chapter 6, he's anticipating a question. And he states it in the first verse of chapter 6. Well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? If we have peace with God, if we have justification before God, can I continue to live as I please? And the rest of chapter 6 is Paul explaining and exhorting the believer to not only live as someone who's justified, but one who has been made new in Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 6 of chapter 6, we know that our old self, the sin nature, was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Something owns or has our heart, either the old sin nature or that has been broken, put to death, and we are now owned, if you will, by a new master, a new Lord, a new Savior. And he is good and he is gracious. As Paul speaks of sin, he speaks not merely of particular sins, but this sin condition, this old self, that master to which we were once enslaved, that has been put to death, and we have a new Lord. This is one of the great gifts of Christmas. It's not only a life that is everlasting, but it is a life that knows a new heart, a new love, a Savior that is all glorious and full of grace, that grants uh, to all who would come to him uh, this new and wonderful life in him. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word and for your goodness to us in so many ways. We, we praise you for the new life that we have in Christ, that as your scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We thank you for your son, our Lord Jesus, who came, who lived and was crucified, is is risen and seated at your right hand. We thank you for all that we have in him. Continue to bless us, O Lord, uh, this night and tomorrow, uh, for we give you praise for all these things. uh, In Christ's name, amen.